Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. So happy to, to be with you, even though you are online, most of you. And uh, uh, so it's a, a, a new way to do things. Um, I, I uh, has, have been pre preparing on this message for some time, and, and it's given me a new appreciation for Pastor Dennis, uh, who does this on a weekly basis. So thank you so much, Pastor Dennis, for serving us week by week. Um, maybe I'll just mention as well that Anne and I are heading into a sabbatical uh, starting on February the 1st, and so we'll be stepping back from our responsibilities here at Sunrise uh, for about six months, and uh, so we will miss you during that time. <clears throat> I'd like to just, just pray uh, before I, I share from God's Word with you. God, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for the gift of giving us your words Thank you that we have the privilege to read them, to, to study, to understand. And thank you so much that, that you desire to bring freedom in our lives. You desire to, that our trust in you will grow. And so I just thank you so much for that gift. Would you please speak this morning? We, we look forward to hearing from you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've titled my message this morning, Fear or Trust. When I use the word fear... I'm not talking about the natural response to impending danger, such as like when a car is bearing down on you. Uh, I'm talking about the fear of known things or unknown things that come up in our lives. In a few moments, I'll be reading from Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 to 20. So feel free to find it in your Bibles if you have a Bible with you. That's Genesis 12, verses 10 to 20. After I finished college in uh, 1982, I headed down to the United States, and I got involved in inner-city ministry there for a couple summers, and then I went eventually full-time. I moved down there. Our motto uh, as a group was incarnational evangelism, evangelism. That might be new for some of you, so let me explain what I mean. Just like Jesus left his nice home in heaven and came to our rough, broken world, our team felt that God was calling us to do the same. We looked for the roughest neighborhoods, and then we tried to move staff into those neighborhoods uh, so, that, so that we could love the people that were living there and reach out to the youth with the love of Jesus. I was living in one of those poor neighborhoods in a house which happened to be on a corner of an intersection. One night, around 2 or 3 a.m., as I recall, I woke up to hear banging on my window. I pulled back the curtain to see who could be there, and I saw one of my young people. David was there. I motioned to him to go around to the front of the house, and, and I met him at the door. David was not doing well. His eyes were intense and piercing, and his attitude was not good. He would not settle down, and I suspected he was under the influence of alcohol or drugs, or directly under Satan's influence. The way he was acting and the things he said hit me hard, and I realized I was full of fear. Today, we're going to look at the story of a man in the Bible who is deeply impacted by fear. But first, let me fill you in on the background. God had told Abram to get out of his country and from his people from his father's household, 
to a land that he would show him. Abram was from Ur of the Chaldees. Some say this was present-day Nazaria in southeastern Iraq. And some say it was possibly the city of Edessa, at one time known as Urfa in southern Turkey, just north of the border of Syria. Abram's dad, Terah, passed away in Haran, in southern Turkey, not far from that Urfa I'd mentioned moments ago. Abram had accumulated, accumulated lots of possessions and people, likely servants. He and his wife, Sarah, uh, Sarai, uh, and his nephew Lot, along with a large entourage, journeyed to the land of Canaan, which is present-day Israel. In the first verses of Genesis 12, God introduces us to his relationship with Abram, and we will look at that a bit later. But the text I've chosen for today is Genesis chapter 12, verses, 10, uh, verses uh, 12 to 20. Now, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. A famine? Famine is when grain is scarce, when food is hard to get. And this famine was burdensome. It was grievous. So this was a very serious famine. Looking at it from a natural viewpoint, Abram and his clan were going hungry. Or they would be going hungry shortly. What would you do? Of course, you'd find out where there was food, and you would go there. Somehow Abram found out that there was food in Egypt, and he decided to go there for a time. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai in verse 11, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Ladies, how do you feel when your husband says, you're a beautiful woman? Doesn't that just warm your heart? What a good husband. But Abram kept going. Look at verses 12 and 13. When the Egyptians say, uh, sorry, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Sarai was beautiful. But Abraham was not, Abram was not complimenting her. He was not focused on loving and encouraging his wife or serving her. He was full of fear, afraid that the Egyptians would, would want Sarai and would kill him in order to get her. His focus was on himself, self-preservation. He was more concerned about himself than he was about his wife. Was Abram's concern justified? Possibly. We know that Sarai was very beautiful and they had become quite rich by that time. Is it possible that the Pharaoh of Egypt would want to add her to his harem? Yes. And one way to do that would be to get rid of Abram. Did that justify Abram's actions? No. Abram's fear and his focus on himself led him to put Sarai into a dangerous position and I wonder how Sarai felt when Abram said this. I asked my wife Anne how she would feel if I did something like this to her. She said, afraid, betrayed, torn. She loves me, 
So she would want to protect me, but what would happen to her because of saying she's my sister? What caused Abram to be willing to put his wife Sarai into such a difficult position? I think it was forgetting who God is. Forgetting what God has promised. Not trusting God. And friends, that leads to fear. Fear leads to believing things that are not true. Look at verse 12. Abram says, They will say such and such. They will kill me. How does Abram know what the people of Egypt will say? How does he know they will kill him? Abram doesn't know these things. He does not know the future. Fear is impacting his thinking. Where does fear lead to? It leads to being preoccupied with ourselves, looking out for me, trying to protect myself at the expense of others. In this case, fear led to lying. Just say you're my sister. If you say you're my sister, I'll be treated well and my life will be spared. If Pharaoh thinks Sarai is his sister, then he'll treat Abram well, possibly in order to get Sarai to add to his harem of women. But it feels very twisted. Say you are my sister, so I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Somehow, Sarai is supposed to feel good that by telling this lie, she'll be okay, Abram will be treated well, and that she will be sparing his life. Michael Ramsden says some sobering words. If we are overcome with fear so that we cease to see things as they are and are instead driven by things only as they appear to be, we are in a difficult and dangerous situation. And we will probably take action that will take us away from the Lord's will as a result. We will withdraw from him. What should Abram have done? To find the answer to this question, we need to look at the context of our story. Look back at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Friends, Abram's family had been worshipping other gods. We find this out in Joshua 24, verse 2. Now the Lord has spoken. And you see the word Lord in capital letters. This is the name you may have heard. Something, some people pronounce it Yahweh, the eternal living God, the self-existent one, the God who is. The, sorry, the God who was, who is, and who is to come. This living God had spoken directly to Abram. That's huge. The living God was making a new covenant, a new agreement with Abram. So what did God say in verses 2 to 3? I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will cur whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth 
will be blessed through you. The word for blessing, baraka, is very similar to the word bara, let's see, bareka, which is the word for pool or a pond where camels kneel as a resting place. Can you imagine what a blessing it would be for a weary traveler to find an oasis where their camels could come and kneel and drink? Can you imagine if Abram lived life to be a blessing to others, to be an oasis where thirsty souls could come and find refreshment and meet the God who made a covenant and agreement with Abram through which they too could be blessed? The root word for bless is barak. It means to kneel by implication to bless God as an act of adoration. So imagine the word meaning to kneel in adoration before God. Now in this case, imagine God is blessing Abram. So imagine Abram kneeling with respect in receiving this honor. Similar maybe like to, maybe you've seen something like knighthood uh, being, being uh, given to a person. Well, the question we were asking is, what should Abram have done? Friends, Abram should have remembered God's promises. In verse 2, God said he would make Abram into a great nation. Had this happened yet? No. They didn't even have a child yet. So Abram could have chosen to trust God. He could have said, God, you said you would make me into a great nation, but you haven't given me a child yet. So I choose to believe that you still have a plan for my life. Please help Sarai and me to trust you, and please protect us. What other promise had God made? In verse 3, God said he would bless those who blessed Abram, and he would curse those who cursed Abram. Abram could know that God was watching over him, and God was caring for him. Abram could choose to rest in God's care in the midst of this uncertain situation. Was there any other promise? Yes. In verse 3, God promised Abram that all peoples on earth would be blessed through him. Had God blessed all families on earth yet through Abram? No. Well, Abram could not be killed yet then. Friends, this story of all peoples on earth being blessed through Abram is critical to understanding what's happening here. And we have to take some steps back, back to the beginning of the Bible. The story of the Bible begins with God, creating everything perfect. The first humans, Adam and Eve, were created perfect and given the gift of choice. After some time, they chose to listen to the enemy of God and our enemy Satan, who came to them in the form of a serpent. There's a blogger named Mrs. Nix who helped me to understand some of the links between these stories. The story in Genesis chapter 3 will help us to understand what's happening in chapter 12. Adam and Eve chose not to obey God. And this point in time is what we call the fall of man, or maybe the fall of mankind. God told the serpent in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, 
between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Mrs. Nick says, God explains the hope of mankind's future. A son, a descendant will come from the woman to defeat the serpent. God is addressing the serpent when he says this, and the serpent was listening. Believe that the serpent will do anything in his power to avoid that punishment. The spiritual war that was declared on that day is fought throughout the Bible. In the ancient Near East, bloodline was everything. This was a patriarchal culture. Now don't confuse that with the political tone we apply to the word today. No, this is the actual anthropological term for patriarchy. All power was held by the patriarch of the family, and all power passed down through the firstborn son. God is working with Abraham to establish a nation of Israel through him. The legitimate firstborn son of Abraham, Isaac, would be crucial to demonstrating God's glory down the road. So, if you're the serpent, how would you operate to thwart God's prophecy in the generation of Abraham? Well, the Bible shows us what he did, and it starts right here in this passage of Genesis 12. He whispered fear to Abram instead of faith in God's provision. In the famine, Abram embraces the serpent's fear and goes down into Egypt, leaving what God had given to Abram, the promised land. He goes down into a pagan land, and then the serpent whispers fear to him again as they're approaching. The woman, the woman who will bear the son in the line of the serpent's mortal enemy must be corrupted and discredited. The story here is about divine rebellion and the father of lies. It is also about God's absolute and unequivocal victory over that divine rebellion. End of quote. Because of where we live in history, we know that this promise of blessing all nations through Abram, was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. But Abram didn't know how that would work out yet. So Abram went down to Egypt. What if God wanted to bless the Egyptians through Abram? What if, instead of fear, Abram's focus was to trust God? God, you said you would bless all peoples through me. We are approaching Egypt. How would you like to bless the Egyptians through me? Can you imagine him saying that? What if Abram told Pharaoh, the God I serve has blessed me, and he's told me that he wants to bless all peoples. I know I'm coming here for grain, but how can I bless you? And friends, Abram should have chosen trust instead of fear. Trust God and his promises. Let's look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 4. God had just given Abram some huge promises. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. God told Abram to leave Haran, and he obeyed. They made it to the promised land Canaan safely. Now look at verses 6 and 7. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah, 
at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Friends, God not only spoke to Abram back in Haran, now God was speaking to him at the destination. God appeared to him here and spoke to him. God said he would give this land to Abram's descendants. It was a clear message. And another clue for us, it was not Abram's time to die. Abram could have chosen to trust God instead of being afraid. We read in verse 7 that Abram built an altar there. The word altar comes from the root word meaning to slaughter an animal for sacrifice. The relationship with God was based on a covenant of blood. Animals would be sacrificed, which would cover the sin of the people. And all this would point forward to the one who would come as the final sacrifice, the final payment for the sins of the world, of you and me. Now look at verse 8. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Friends, here we read that Abram built a second altar, made another animal sacrifice, and called on the name of the Lord. A name is a very personal thing. For Abram to call on the name of the Lord, it, this indicates relationship, personal connection between himself and God. When it says Abram called on the Lord, that word pertains to calling or crying out. Imagine, you were worshiping other gods, but now you've met the living God. You've obeyed God, but you're in a new land. God has made a new covenant, a new agreement with Abram. It seems that Abram recognized his need for God and for God's help, and he was crying out to him. So friends... Now uh, we come, let's see here, now we come, uh, oh, so, 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 all of that had been in chapter 12, okay? Um, uh, now an interesting thing caught my eye when I got to chapter 13 and, and verse 4. Abram comes back to the land of Canaan from Egypt, and he comes to the altar he had built earlier, the altar where he had called on the name of the Lord, and once again, he calls on the name of the Lord. So he had called on the name of the Lord prior, prior to the verses 10 to 20. And now, in chapter 13, he's calling on the name of the Lord again. Are you noticing anything that's missing? What's missing here? In the middle, verses 10 to 20, where we started out. There is nothing in our text for today, these verses, 10 to 20, about Abram building an altar or calling on the name of the Lord regarding moving to Egypt or even as he was approaching Egypt. Friends, it feels like Abram made an impulsive decision. Let's go to Egypt. And soon he was making more bad decisions. Abram should have called on the name of the Lord. There are some interesting verses, like in Psalm 53, where it says about some people, 
They never call on God, but there they are, overwhelmed with dread, where there was nothing to dread. Friends, we have a choice. We can call on God, or we can ignore God, and we can allow ourselves to become overwhelmed with dread. When God is in the picture, we don't need to dread. What could Sarah have done? We know that women did not have a high status at that time in history. But could, could Sarai have said, let's ask God what to do, Abram. Let's trust God. Maybe she did. We don't know. How did God feel about all of this? It's interesting that God didn't just step in and stop Abram. When we head down our pathway of thinking, God doesn't necessarily stop us. He sometimes allows us to go our own way. So they went with their plan. And what happened? How did things turn out for them? Look at verses 14 to 16. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for, for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. Friends, Pharaoh did not kill Abram. He was physically safe, at least for the moment. Not only safe, he got treated really well. But just think of the danger he put Sarai into. She was experiencing a new country, a new culture, a new language, taken in by a stranger king, taken to be his wife. It must have been hugely traumatic for her. How alone she must have felt. It would have impacted her deeply, not just then, but ongoing. And how on earth was Abram thinking he would get her back? Abram's safety was more important to him than his wife's well-being, and all caused by fear. If God hadn't stepped in, Abram could have lost Sarai forever. But God saw everything, and God had a plan. God saw Sarai and was deeply concerned about her. Look at verse 17. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Brothers and sisters, instead of blessing Pharaoh and his people, Abram's lack of trust in God and the choices he made became like a curse on them. God struck Pharaoh and his household hard because of Sarai. Through this, it became clear to Pharaoh who Sarai really was, the wife of Abram, and God rescued her from a devastating situation. Brothers and sisters, I've had a tough time wrapping my head around the idea that God plagued Pharaoh 
and his household, why didn't God hit Abram hard for what he had done? I don't know. God had a plan that would include Abram's descendants. Someone would come from Abram who would crush the serpent, Satan's head. Friends, God is a God of grace. Grace is God's kindness to us that we don't deserve. God seems to shower Abram with grace. He should be punished, but he receives kindness. In Hebrews 11, we read that Abram believed God and God considered him to be righteous because of that faith. God is so amazing. I wonder if Pharaoh learned of this amazing God through what happened to him. It would have been wonderful to see Abram repent, to see him deeply sorry for not trusting God, to see Abram tell Pharaoh that he believed in the living God of heaven, but he had not trusted him, and he had operated in fear, to see Abram make things right with Pharaoh. But we don't read that. Something else shocks me. When we get to chapter 20, we find Abram, Abraham, where God had changed his name, uh, in a similar situation, acting out of fear for his life again. This time he's in the territory of Abimelech, the king of Gerar. We won't turn there, but I'll just tell you this about it. Once again, he says of Sarah, formerly Sarai, she is my sister. So Abimelech takes her to be his wife. Then God comes to Abimelech in a dream and says, you're a dead man. God closes up all the wombs of the women so they can't have children. When Abimelech confronts Abraham the next morning, listen to what he says. Abram rationalizes his actions, saying, Indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. Sarah was Abraham's half-sister and his wife. Nowadays, this would be called incest, but the laws of incest came later. Leviticus 18, verse 9. Once again, Abraham was lying to protect himself. One of the saddest parts of the story is in verse 13. I do have this verse on the slide for you. Abraham, Abraham speaks of Sarah. When God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Friends, when Abram left Haran, he had chosen not to trust God in this area of his life. He chose a pathway of deception. We're going to say you're my sister wherever we go. It seems that not trusting in the living God, but rather living in fear, became a rut in his life. A path that he, he got stuck in. A pattern of sin. We don't have time to look at this story in chapter 20, but it is so assuring to see that God keeps on working with Abraham. God does not give up on him. God has a plan to crush the serpent, Satan's head. And friends, God keeps on working with us. I'm so glad for these stories of imperfect people in Scripture, so I know there's hope for me. Even more sadly, this sin passed on to the next generation. 
In Genesis 26, verses 6 to 13, we read that Abraham's son does the same thing. Instead of trusting God, Isaac was afraid and he lied that Rebekah, his wife, was his sister. Brothers and sisters, our fear, our sin, impacts not only us, but those around us. And it impacts our children. Speaking of these three situations, Mrs. Nick says, each time God sees it and he stops it and he redeems it for his own glory. Brothers and sisters, what about us? We are broken, sinful people. Sometimes we take our eyes, our focus off of God. It is so easy to focus on our circumstances, on the situations that come around, up around us. We forget who God is. We forget his promises. We choose fear instead of trust. God wants to work through us to bless us and through us to bless the peoples of the world as well. Are we choosing to trust in the living God? Are we resisting the temptation to fear? What are the things that you are tempted to be afraid of? Catching COVID? In early December when I got sick and tested positive, I wondered what would happen. I had a choice to make. Do I live in fear or do I choose to trust God with my future and my health? For some of you, it might be your job situation. For others, it just might be the uncertainty of your future. I don't know what it could be that you are tempted to be afraid about. Let me give you another example from my life. And I'm going to share it cryptically so some will understand. And I'm sorry, others will not. This week, I found out that there will be a hearing in two months for some people with whom we have become good friends. There are some things about the situation that could cause us great concern. So the news was not good news to me. But I was in the middle of preparing this message. And I realized God was giving me an opportunity to practice what I'm inviting you to do. I had to decide to consciously choose to trust God and not to be fearful. What about you? Maybe you are a child listening today, and there are things that make you afraid. When I was about six or seven years old, we moved into a big old house. Sometimes it was scary going upstairs to my room. I remember being afraid of the dark, Sometimes it felt like I could hear footsteps in my mind of someone coming and I lay frozen in my bed. When you're afraid, can you remind yourself of God's words? For example, Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. What about those of you who are older? Is there some area in your life where you have taken your eyes off of Jesus? Have you let fear control you? 
in a, in a few minutes, I'd like to take a couple minutes to be quiet and to ask God to search our hearts. During those minutes, you might think about these things. If you are someone who loves Jesus, you could be thinking, if fear has crept in, am I trusting God or am I not trusting God? If you are not, here are some steps to take. Confess or admit to God that you have not trusted him. Confess that you have been living in fear. Ask his forgiveness. Choose to trust God with the situations in your life that you have been tempted to be fearful about. Accept his forgiveness. Then remind yourself of God's promises found in the Bible. It's possible that some of you who are listening may not have a relationship with Jesus yet. I shared earlier that God's intent was to bless all nations through Adam. We talked about how some, someone would come to crush the serpent's head. There were many prophecies given in the Old Testament by prophets predicting someone special would come. God would send someone who would be the final sacrifice to pay for our sins. Those animal sacrifices had only covered the sin temporarily. It would take someone special who would, who would have no sin of his own to, to be the final sacrifice to pay for our sins. When we look at Matthew 1.1, we see the genealogy of Jesus. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, there were many generations in there, but this was his, his lineage, his, his ancestry. <clears throat> the next scripture is Gen uh, Galatians 3.8. The scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Who are Gentiles? Everyone who is not a Jew. and Everyone who is not an Israelite. God had a plan for for those of us who are not Jews as well. He foretold the gospel, that good news to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. God had a plan to bring the final sacrifice to pay for our sins, our rebellion, our brokenness. We have sinned. We have offended God. Yet because of Jesus dying as our substitute, we can be forgiven. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You can choose to put your trust in Jesus today. Then with his help, you can choose to trust instead of fear throughout the challenges that come in your life. God kept working with Abram, and he keeps working with us. Now, I told you I was going to be quiet for a couple minutes and, and uh, give you time to maybe say, God, would you please inspect my heart, my life? Is there an area where I have allowed fear to control me? If that's the case, I invite you to take a couple minutes to bring that to God and ask his forgiveness. Let's just be quiet for a couple minutes.
God, I thank you so much that you hear our prayers. I pray that you would reach out to each person who has been speaking to you and that you would wrap your arms around them, that they would sense your love and your forgiveness. Thank you so much for how you forgave Abraham, how you worked with him. You persisted. You had a plan. You didn't give up. God, would you help us not to give up? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, earlier I told you about my friend David, who had come into my house in the middle of the night under the influence of alcohol or drugs. When I realized I was full of fear, I was reminded of who God was and what he had said. I reminded myself of verses like, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I remembered the verse, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. That's Jesus, because I invited him in. As I fought back against Satan and fear with God's words, fear had to leave. I was able to love David in the midst of his difficult situation. At one point, he decided to leave my home. I was concerned about what would happen if the police picked him up, and I tried to encourage him to stay for the night. But David would not listen. He headed off down the street. I prayed and I prayed. Finally, he turned around and he came back. He told me something like this. James, there was evil down there, and there was evil down there, and there was evil down there. I had to come back. Friends, God has blessed us in so many ways. And he desires to bless us and then in turn to bless others who come across our path. Let's not let fear paralyze us and keep us from all that God wants to do in and through us. Amen.